Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and today's episode brings us to El Segundo, California. And our guest this week is going to help us grow a strong and profitable business with a deep bench. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Sarah Musgrove, the owner of The Bench. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And for visioners who don't know who you are, who are you and what is it that you do? My name is Sarah Musgrove. I am the owner and founder of The Bench, which is a platform that connects freelancers with great companies to work for. Now, the reason we're talking with Sarah today is because she has a wonderful resource that so many business owners and business leaders are trying to find. And we're going to get into that in a minute here. But like a lot of small business owners, she started her business to solve a problem. And first of all, before I ask, the bench? <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, a, that's a typical name. Why, why the bench? So in marketing and advertising, typically you refer to your bench players just like you would uh, sports. And okay. so it was kind of a no-brainer. And we actually thought of the concept literally on a bench in Hermosa Beach. So it seemed like the right choice. Of course, when you become a, a multi-billionaire, Elon Musk uh, level or better, uh, you're going to buy the bench, right? Yeah, or maybe we'll put a plaque on it or something. <laughs> Describe for visioneers what the bench does. Who is your target customer and, and what can you do for them? So right now we really focus in on the marketing, communications, oh, and events okay. world. We really have tried to just solve the resourcing problem. What kind of resourcing problem are you solving? In the agency system mm -hmm. prior to the 2008-2009 recession, it used to be kind of the world of Mad Men that you would imagine where a big brand would award an agency a huge amount of business mm. over the course of several years. And so that agency would be able to resource against that business mm. with quite a bit of ease because they would know Coca-Cola is on the hook for $75 million or $50 million over the course of three years. And what we found at, right before the recession and definitely after the recession is that the entire way that brands award business had changed. Mm. So it really is a project-based environment. You might have brands that say, we are the agency of record of such and such, or agencies that say that about a brand. Right. In reality, what I've found is that most of the time that means that an agency is maybe approved by that brand, right? but the forecast, being able to forecast and being able to be awarded business in huge chunks is very, very hard to come by. Is it also true that what is also happening is, like you said, somebody will get the Coca-Cola contract, but they will actually hire a multitude of other companies to do different subsets of that. Is that something that you also help with? Yes, it is. I mean, I think that's part of the like complex shift mm. within the agency business model and right. kind of what we've seen, how the dynamic has changed. Right. I think that often, like before the big holding companies came into play, 
you went to an agency and that agency was the one agency that you worked with for right. everything. Right. And then with technology coming into the world of marketing and advertising like it has, right. it changed the dynamic because you have agencies that are highly specialized mm. in certain technologies and certain mediums and the traditional agency wasn't necessarily an expert in those right. areas. And so you really have seen the industry go through this huge dynamic shift and then once again in 2020 with COVID, it kind of all changed again, or the, at least the change was accelerated in a lot of ways. What you're saying is that you'll have one agency that'll be really good at social media. Right. Another one that's really good at print. Another one that's really good at website development. And what you do is you help that business go through and say, this is the freelance for this, or this is the freelance for that. And is, is that more along the lines of the kinds of things you do? Typically, so for the agencies specifically, so we work with agencies and we work with brands. Right. So how we support agencies is we have a vetted roster of talent right. that collectively we make up a full service marketing and advertising firm. Right. And ultimately, if your team doesn't have the bandwidth, doesn't have the expertise, you can come to us and we have already vetted this talent, we already know this talent, and the talent that's available can jump into your project rather quickly. Um, and so that is a huge pressure release from an agency resourcing standpoint. Um, I was on the agency side in a traditional sense prior to starting the bench. We're gonna talk more about experiential marketing because this is fascinating stuff. I and mean, quite frankly, it's really where the heart of marketing is going, especially if you're <clears throat> Younger than some of us. <laughs> and before we do that, if visitors want to get in touch with you, well, first of all, before we do that, does somebody have to be the size of Coca-Cola to work with you? No, not at all. We work with nonprofits. We work with startup companies. We work with some agencies that are just two to three people all the way up to some of the largest agencies within holding companies. And if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? The best way to do that is to email me. We just joked about how I rarely <laughs> listen to my voicemail. It's a flaw of mine. Uh -huh. uh, so my email is sarah, S-A-R-A-H, at thebench.us, and our website is thebench.us. Social media? At the Bench LLC. And if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify. And when we come back, we're going to talk about if you're in year three, four, five of your business and you're starting to grow to the point where your first customers can't seem to be what you're trying to grow to, how do you, how do you deal with that? Because these are the people that helped you get your business started. And we'll talk more about that when we come right back. Eagle Eye Visioneers have probably noticed that We've made a few changes to Small Business Celebration with the advent of Season 5. Yes, we've changed the logo, we've changed the intro, we've changed the way that we brand Small Business Celebration. And longtime visioners, you know how important the feedback we get from visioners just like you on our social media sites like LinkedIn, Facebook, and Instagram is to us. Now, one of the things that's been popping up periodically is how can I contribute financially to Small Business Celebration and help grow the program? Well, 
We've done that with the launch of our Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration where you get bonus content, bonus information, all kinds of things that could help you grow your business further. And at the same time, support small business celebration and our growth. So simply go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration and help us celebrate small businesses for big breakthroughs. I'm here with Sarah Musgrove, the owner of The Bench, and our visionary question comes from Jonah who asks, we are in year three of our business and we're narrowing down our customer base from casting a wide net. But I hate telling customers that we can't serve them anymore and feel awful since they have been with us from the beginning. How did you live with that? We are currently still going through that, a okay. little bit of that evolution. So what I found to be the most useful for my clients mm -hmm. and how I can still support their business mm -hmm. is identifying an alternative solution. For example, I have one client, The Science of Sport, which is this incredible nonprofit that uses sport examples to teach elementary school kids about STEM and STEAM education. Mm -hmm. And they have a lot of graphic design and web development needs. Mm -hmm. And we've supported them, we're continuing to support them. But for some of the things that they have needed, it just simply makes more sense for them to hire the freelancer directly. Right. And they've been using some of our freelancers now for well over a year, probably two, two and a half years. And so with the executive director of that organization, I was able to kind of partner with him to identify the best solution for his business, which mm -hmm. happened to be hiring those people directly which ended up being a great solution for us because we weren't we're, we were too big to service him right. in the way that he should be serviced. When you were talking with this customer and you're trying to build that bridge for them, did you just send them an email or send them a text message and say, hey, we can't help you anymore, uh, call this person, have a nice day? No, he actually reached out to me. Okay. We had had a really great, you know, communication leading up to this mm -hmm. and because he had used somebody on the social media side for quite a long time and I knew he was a nonprofit he's obviously trying to save as much money as he can right um, I had talked to the freelancer prior and just uh, said hey like what would you think about going directly to work for them or working directly with them and she right. was 100% on board and then when the time came where he was looking to extend her role and expand her role he called me which was great. And so we just had a conversation about it. We teased a little bit in the last segment about experiential marketing. And this is fantastic stuff. And I've been waiting to talk to somebody like Sarah about experiential marketing. For visioners who don't know what it is, tell us, explain to us, what is experiential marketing? The way I define it is any type of marketing where you have direct access to a consumer. It could be something like a branded, race, like a cycling race or running race okay. that's branded and brought to you by a brand and okay. you are experiencing that brand through that race. Okay. It could be something, an activation that maybe you see in everyday life while you're walking through the mall. So the customer or the potential customer actually gets to go up to the product, interact with the product, knowing full well it's sponsored by... Correct. And so they're finding out this is what it is, and they're able to experience the product. Yeah, and you see all different kinds of brands kind of creating their own personality around experiential marketing. We have Nike, who's one of our largest clients and a brand that I've been lucky enough to work with for a long time. And a lot of their localized marketing 
comes in the form of community marketing. Mm -hmm. So here in Los Angeles, we have the East Los Angeles store, and that store is a hub for that community. And so a lot of events and a lot of experiential marketing for Nike take place at that store. And it's a way for them to connect with the with that specific neighborhood here in, in Los Angeles. Just as a side note or side question, is that the same store that is described in Shoe Dog? I have not read all of Shoe Dog. I could probably tell you the entire Shoe Dog story. <laughs> <laughs> I, okay. Yeah, I have done multiple campaigns for Nike where we've had to play off of the history. Right, sure. And currently the bench is actually supporting the Blue Ribbon Sports venue uh -huh. in Santa Monica, which was the first retail store that Phil Knight had opened. Oh. And so I'm sure Blue Ribbon Sports is mentioned in the book. Because the stories he tells about that location are just wonderful. I uh, would imagine that's probably Blue Ribbon Sports <laughs> in Santa okay. Monica. Very good. Well, if you haven't read Shoe Dog, you've got to watch it, or read it, I should say. Read it, yeah. And uh, you can find it at russosbooks.com or anywhere where you locally get books. But it's a great one. It's written by Phil Knight, and it's fantastic. But you started doing experiential marketing, you started developing, you started growing, you started having employees and started putting all this together. At first in college, I didn't even know experiential marketing was a thing, okay. to be totally honest with you. Kind of tripped and fell into it. I did, and okay. I feel super lucky that I did. Okay. Right. Um, I My work-study job in college was at the Burns Rec Center at okay. Loyola. And what I learned in creating programs around different health initiatives is that you could use events to get a message across and communicate to people. And so that's really what got me excited about producing events and using my marketing degree alongside of that. Wait, are you trying to tell me you're one of those very few people who actually uses your degree? I actually use my degree. <laughs> I do. Yeah, no. Um, and so that's what really got me excited. I think so much of it is like how I use the creative side of my brain is just building something out of nothing. And that's very exciting to me. Mm -hmm. Events, it's, and we've learned it in COVID, especially like that human connection that you have when you are at a concert or at a, you know, race with 20,000 other people that had trained for that marathon. Right. That's a feeling that it's pretty, um, you get, uh, you can't help but love that feeling of being a part of that. What did the people who hired you think about the success? The people that hired the me? Other, the other agencies that hired you to do this experiential marketing. What did they think of, what did some of them, I should say? Think, think about the bench? Think about the bench. Um, it was actually a little surprising to me. I, <laughs> the bench was kind of a, you know, cumulative outcome of my experience freelancing, my experience being in-house. Mm -hmm. And so I actually really felt that those past clients or those past employers of mine would have been some of my first clients. Right. And some of them were. Okay. And others were a little threatened by the bench. And Even though you were doing a good job for them. Yes. Because <laughs> okay. Why is that? I think that they, the messaging or how I communicated in the beginning, mm -hmm. they saw a way for me to take business away from them. Ah, the green-eyed monster. Yes. Envy. Which was never the intention. The intention was truly to serve companies like them. Right. 
And in some aspects, there have, you know, we do work with brands and brands have come to us directly. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would argue that a lot of the brand business that we are working on is better su- suited for those brands to work directly with independent contractors. And so I, I feel as if, one, there's enough business to go around to everybody. Right. Um, but also, it's just a different way of working. It's not a direct competitor by any means, and the majority of our clients are still agencies. How has your business changed because of what you've learned from the Green Eye Monster? I think there's a part of me that loves to please people, mm-hmm. and I'm in a relationship-based business, so knowing that some people that I had once worked with were not thrilled about the business that I had started, that was emotionally challenging for me mm-hmm. in the beginning. But once I realized how much emotional effort I was putting into trying to control or even thinking about something that I had no control over, and once I realized that that was really just noise and it was a distraction from my business, then I was able to clearly define where my time was best spent. We had this experiment, the bench. We were going to try to see if we could create a better working environment and industry environment for freelancers and for these agencies and brands. And as long as I was focused on that and I was trying, I was building the business and I was working to serve my clients and the independent contractors, all of that extra noise fell to the wayside and I realized it didn't matter. And it really, you're never, I'm never gonna be able to control somebody's reaction. And so why exert the effort trying? <laughs> really is what I learned. And will be right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching. But are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarua Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarua Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarua Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClaruaTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarua Tire at 661-324-6069 today. I'm here with Sarah Musgrove, the owner of The Bench, and our visioner question comes from Brandy who asks, we are shifting our business from a retail business to a B2B service-based business, and it's scary. What have you done that works? I don't know if it works yet, but I'm in the process <laughs> of a very big transition as well. Okay. Um, we, I mean, I think all small business owners can appreciate the evolutions of your company right. and how you constantly are kind of experimenting and shifting. Right. We just launched our own proprietary platform. Really? That aggregates all of our independent contractors and that we now run all of our projects through. So if visioneers want to find out about it, they just go to thebench.com? Thebench.us. .us. Yes. Okay. What is this proprietary software system that you're using? It originally was designed actually to help us run our company. Ah. And what we realized in building the software is that multiple people started asking us if there was any way that they could license the software. Ah. And so for a big organization like a Nike, for example, who runs a ton of business using independent contractors, 
our platform essentially helps them seamlessly manage their independent contractors. So oh. think about if you're at a big organization like that and you're working on one creative element, but you have 60 other people that are potentially using similar independent contractors to you. Now we're aggregating an enterprise's independent contractors into our platform. And so people across companies or across holding companies can leverage the same independent contractors. And then we're managing all the administrative kind of back office work for them. That seems like a great way to save time. It's a huge time saver. And it also, I could geek out about this for a long time, <laughs> but a lot of what I've learned is about co-employment law, the challenges of IC or independent contractors versus W-2 employees. And one of the biggest challenges that these big enterprises have is actually processing independent contractors. And so what we've been able to do is kind of build a solution around helping them still leverage independent contractors and leverage that talent. And HR department's really meant to hire a full-time employee that stays there for right. seven to 10 years, right. not necessarily a 3D renderer that has a three-week project. And you're based in California, so you're dealing with California's ABC laws yeah. and being able to go through and say, okay, this is what the independent contractor can and can't do. And if it becomes more than that, now you need to hire them as an employee. Yes, so we kind of do a hybrid of both. We have temporary employees, we have temporary uh, W-2 employees, we have full-time W-2 employees, and then we also have independent contractors. So one of the services we provide is identifying for that specific need that mm -hmm. the brand or agency or enterprise has, mm -hmm. how does that qualify within the current AB5 structure? This is totally different than you started your business. I never, ever <laughs> thought You'd be doing this. I would be doing that. And I never thought I would be following so closely a government. You know, we're, the, we're one of the only countries that has two classifications of workers. Right. You have W-2 or you have 1099. Right. And it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense that one of my creative directors that's making well over $200,000 a year and being an independent contractor is being classified with somebody who's driving for Postmates on the side. Very different right. type of work. It's very different reasons behind why they're doing what they're doing. And thus, all the learning of HR law. Yes. <laughs> it is a complex world. And this has been a lot of stress for you. Yeah, it has. It's definitely stressful. It was even more stressful. I think the government did what was right by the independent contractor and right. lumping them into all of the recovery acts for COVID-19. Right. But it also posed a lot of challenges for small business owners because we're getting a ton of unemployment claims right now, or we have since 2020. Right. And in reality, they're not, they're not my employee. They're not my employees. They were hired to do a very specific job. How do you relieve all the stress? Um, I took up tennis. Okay. I, Why tennis? I, well, first, it started actually when I was living in Portland, Oregon. Okay. I desperately needed a way to exercise and not be in the rain. So right. I found an indoor tennis. It doesn't rain in Portland. Never. <laughs> Never. Um, but you grabbed a racket and, and you went out and, and they have indoor tennis clubs in, in Portland? Yeah, an okay. indoor tennis facility. So I started playing there. And then when I came back to LA, um, I started playing 
just recreationally, and now I'm on the team, and it's my competitive, physical kind of outlet. I have to ask. Sure. Lucci? Oh, my nickname, yes. <laughs> okay, tell us. There's, there's got to be a story behind this. Yes. Tell us about Lucci. My uncle started calling me Sarah Lucci when I was growing up because Susan Lucci, the soap opera star, uses her hands to talk a lot, which I have a tendency to do. And she's been working very hard not I'm to do this. Holding my hands down. <laughs> um, yes, and so now my whole family calls me Lucci, and that has turned into my aunt name, so I'm no longer... I'm not Aunt Sarah or Aunt anybody. I'm just Lucci. It's just a noun. It's just <laughs> who I am. Do you put the in front of it? So you're the Lucci? Jack, my nephew, will say, oh, that's my Lucci. Like, that's, that's my title. I'm supposed to do something like that? Yeah. <laughs> you were talking about a lot of freelancers mm -hmm. come and work with you. And a lot of freelancers, they are independent business owners themselves. What is some of the pieces of advice that you'd like to give that sometimes they should listen to more often than they, than they don't? I think what you just articulated is a key piece of advice. Okay. If you're going to freelance, you truly are starting your own small business. Mm. And you've got to be ready to do all that that encompasses, whether that's running your QuickBooks or insurance. And there's a lot of things that roll into being an independent contractor and freelancing that oftentimes people aren't thinking about because they're only thinking about their trade, whether mm. that's being a producer or an editor or whatever the case may be. And so I do a lot of kind of one-on-one -on -one consulting with people that are thinking about leaving their full-time role to become an independent contractor. And oftentimes it really just becomes a self-awareness conversation. Mm. Are you intrinsically or extrinsically motivated? Mm. Are you gonna be successful at working very independently and not being around people all the time? Um, are you gonna be okay with that operations and administrative side? Or do you truly just wanna focus on your design work or your particular craft? Right, and to know that you're not alone. There are resources available and you, you help them guide through that, do you know? Yeah, there's tons of resources available and now that we've launched our technology and we actually have people that have just started on the team that are starting to build out more and more resources for the freelancers that not just are part of the bench, but we'll start publishing more and more and aggregating those resources. But yeah, finding a solid community of people that are freelancing and different people in, in your similar industry that can just support you through the way, like along the way, I think is really important. When you have that three o'clock in the morning, five, and it's the fifth day in a row, mm -hmm. and you've had no after no after no, and you've got, you don't have enough freelancers for a project, what motivates you to keep going? Um, my freelancers really are what motivate me every day. Being able to connect them to projects that they are passionate about and excited about, and that they're able to deliver their highest quality of work is really the most kind of inspiring part of what I do on the day-to-day -day -day basis. How does that affect you? It's so rewarding to be able to put somebody on a project that's not just a project that fits their craft, but it's something that they're really interested in. Like I have the ability, because I don't have 
everybody on payroll and this full-time staff. If somebody is really passionate about soccer, I have the ability to put them on a project where they're working with a soccer brand or working on you know, something in conjunction with something that they are really passionate about and love. And that's super rewarding, not just to be able to deliver that, but also you see it in the work and you see just, it just all comes together, it's great. What has owning your business afforded you? Flexibility. I'm able to work anywhere, mm -hmm. whenever I need to, however I need to. And that is a luxury that I definitely don't take for granted. I, my sister just had her first baby last night and I was able to be in Phoenix, Arizona with her and now I'm here in Los Angeles with you and having a standard regular nine to five wouldn't, wouldn't have afforded me that opportunity. Well, Sarah, this has been a privilege. Thank you very much for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. If visioneers want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? The easiest way is to email me, sarah at thebench.us or to visit our website, thebench.us. And I'll be right back with my final thought. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. The only constant in life is change. I know, I know, I know. It's cliche. But it's cliche for a reason. Why? Because it's true. And as we've developed and grown here in Small Business Celebration, we've, we've made some changes here for season five. You'll notice we have a new logo, we've had a slightly different look, we've changed some of the graphics along the way. But as we develop and grow and change, we couldn't have done any of this without you, Visioneer Nation, because you've been with us, you've helped us develop, grow, and mature. In fact, one of my former guests and I were talking a couple weeks ago and he says, one of the requirements to be on Small Business Celebration is that you have to have been in business for at least five years, correct? And I said, well, yeah, that, that's true. And he says, congratulations, you can now be on your own show. As we go forward here into season five, you're probably gonna know some other little things that are gonna change along the way. After all, the only constant in life is change. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Sarah Musgrove of The Bench, and I hope you learned something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. But also, as we go forward here in season five, we're also celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. And until next week, we'll see you then. By the way. Okay. What capital, what country's capital is the fastest growing? Ooh, um, 
And I'll warn you, it's a bad dad joke. Oh, jeez. <laughs> oh, I don't know. I love a good dad joke, though. <laughs> okay, it's in Ireland. Dublin. It's Dublin, because it's always... Dublin. Dublin! There you go! I like it! All right. I'm here with Sarah Musgrove, the owner. We're smiling, right? Oh, sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and we're in Hawthorne, California today at a fantastic learning place, a nonprofit that is run just like a business. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Ed Lynch, the founder of Michael's Learning Place. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. It's good to be here, Michael. For visioneers who don't know who you are, who are you, and what is it that you do? My name is Ed Lynch. I'm the founder of Michael's Learning Place. We're in our 21st year. We're a local nonprofit in Hawthorne. We started off providing after-school programs for special needs kids, added some adult programs that provide job training and independent living skills, and then our social enterprises, which is really the direction the organization is going. We have a commercial bakery on site. We have a t-shirt printing and embroidery business, and we have a cafe at Torrance Memorial Hospital. The students are doing all the work, and it's about the students. The reason we're talking with Ed today is because, well, I get a lot of requests to interview nonprofits, and most nonprofits who come to our doorstep basically come with their hand out. You, Ed, have a very different approach here at Michael's Learning Place. First of all, what is the reason for Michael's Learning Place? So I started Michael's Learning Place to, in honor of my daughter, Michael, who had passed away 25 years ago. Mm -hmm. So she would be 32 if she was here today. By the way, how do you spell Michael? M-Y-C-H-A-L. Okay. And no, we did not want a boy. <laughs> and because um, a lot of people, uh, I think, assume because of the name Michael. Right, sure. And so when she was here, there were really no programs I, as her parent, would have felt comfortable dropping her off at. The mm. kind of needs that she had, the lack, lack of, of language, fine and gross motor skills. So I committed my life to creating programs of somewhere a place she would be and feel comfortable and loved. But you didn't start Michael's Learning Place just, I'm 27 years old, I think I'll start a nonprofit. You, what did you do before that in the private sector? Well, I've always been kind of entrepreneurial. I do better as the leader than a follower, right. um, particularly if there's no respect there from your, uh, <laughs> your supervisor. And so I had a janitorial business for a while. I managed some properties in Santa Monica for a while. Um, did whatever I had to do to pay the bills. Hmm. 
And at one point, you decided you had enough. About six months after my daughter had passed, I was given an opportunity to run an after-school program, mm. uh, same population, same group of individuals. And I did that for about five and a half years. And the valuable lessons I learned there is you don't work for somebody like that and um, get your priorities in order. Mm. Um, as a nonprofit, it's set up a certain way for a reason. Right. And you need to stick to that. You need to stick to the, to the vision and the mission because that's really what drives the organization at the end of the day. And now we get into why I really appreciate what you're doing. Because you're taking, you're teaching life skills for these students and you're doing it through a kitchen. And those services, those products and services that revenue generated comes back into Correct. Michael's Learning Place. Right. It becomes a steady revenue stream. Right. Why is that the direction that you're, you're planning to expand further and actually doing it? With a lot of nonprofits, you know, we're always, with our hands out, we're always looking for a donation to keep our doors open. Right. And it's important to have those resources, and there are so many nonprofits that need the support to do that. Right. I don't want to be so dependent on government funding that one day if they cut their funding, I'm closing my doors because I didn't plan appropriately and accordingly, right? right? And so in 2008, when that happened, that's what happened to a lot of the organizations. They were right. solely dependent on the government support. I don't want to do that. I would say the first eight years or so, we were at 93 to 98% of our funding came from the state. Mm -hmm. So can you imagine if they cut off our funding then, we wouldn't be sitting here having this conversation. So when the state of California starts sending you IOUs instead of a, a check, check yes. it becomes a problem. Yes, right? <laughs> so how do you address that? You diversify right. your funding stream as a nonprofit, right? So you have your foundation support, your corporate support, your individual donors, which really will keep an organization open for a lifetime because that's where most giving comes from is from individuals. Right. And the reason we started the social enterprise is we were having difficulty finding work partners here in Southern California to provide job training opportunities for our students. And so that's how the bakery started. The bakery mm. was the first social enterprise to start. It just started off by making cookies. Right. Just started making cookies. And then we started bringing in barista service. And we hired a young lady that had cafe experience, barista service experience, who could take that model, because I'm not a barista. Right. I don't know anything about coffee business other than I like to drink coffee. Sure. And so if you have somebody on staff that knows about the business, then you can create the business model. And that's what we did with the coffee business, where we would pop up at Mattel Toys in El Segundo, California, four days a week at both locations, selling baked goods and coffee for three hours a day in the afternoons. And that creates that community awareness. It creates that the individual learns what our students are like, that they're just like you and me, someone attached a label to their name and because Johnny has autism or Down syndrome, he's a certain way. No, he's Johnny. Right. He's just Johnny. And if you give Johnny the skills and the tools, you support him, you throw him into the fire, Johnny will surprise you, not even surprise you, You'll, you know Johnny's got it in him. And now he's had the support to get it done. And that's what it's about at the end of the day. Social enterprise, paying our bills is one thing. Creating that community awareness because we can't hire all our students. We're not that big to get to the point where we can employ them all. So how do we do that? We provide them with the tools to be gainfully employed. And a lot of the skills they learn in the cafe, the bakery, the print shop 
are all transferable to other jobs. Social appropriateness, hygiene, all those things we don't think about. I can get you a job, Michael. The question is, are you able to keep the job because you have all those other skills to keep it, right? How the print shop came to be is I was at the Lakers training facility in El Segundo, California. Right. And they had their ribbon cutting at the new facility. Mm -hmm. And I walked in and they took your picture at a step and repeat. And then while you're in the event, they printed your face on a mug, right. a Lakers mug right. with your face on it. Right. Like I'm thinking, okay, do I really want to drink from a mug that's got my face on it? It does make much sense. The Lakers mug would be fine. But what I got from it is I watched the process of what they were doing. I said, we can do that. I mean, it's such a simple process to make mugs. Right. Within the next two weeks, bought the equipment, was not expensive, and we integrated it into our adult program. So we made it a regular part of the adult program, is, is how to use this equipment. And back to finding the individual to run the coffee business, Jose, who, who's been with me nine years, started in the after-school program, runs my print shop. Mm -hmm. His side hustle, printing shirts and doing mugs. There it is. So four years ago, five years ago, the printing idea takes off. Mm -hmm. I've got somebody with experience. Now, Nate, mind you, he doesn't know everything about all the equipment, but he's motivated, he's capable and able, and he's taking the leadership of that. I don't know how to print a shirt. I don't know how to do embroidery. I don't want to learn how to do that because I want somebody else to do it when I'm not here. So it's another model of a business that works. The beauty of the t-shirt printing and director garment business and the um, embroidery is companies need it, right. right? So some of our biggest clients have been Northrop Grumman, Chevron, Kinetka, Federal Credit Union. And if they're going to buy a shirt anyway, why wouldn't you buy one from us that's providing job training for our students? If you were to come to our print shop, Michael, and you'd watch the t-shirt printing going on, it's direct to garment, it's not silkscreen, you would see the students doing the work. You're not gonna see staff, you're gonna see the students doing the work. That's what it's about. It's not this token approach to the special needs population. They are capable and able. James runs the print shop equipment. He's been an employee of Michael's since December, 2021. And it's amazing to watch the process. That's a, an ex, that's an expandable business. That's a scalable business. That's a business that can fund us long term and our growth. I see social enterprises keeping our doors open five years from now, ten years from now, where if government funding goes away, we can just wave goodbye and not worry about it. If visioneers want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, it depends on how they want to get in touch, <laughs> sure, what, what sure. they want done, right? So do, right. They, do they want to hire a print shop? Do they want to think about maybe partnering with us and the print shop? Right. Um, the best way would be go, go to michaels.org. So it's www.michaels, again, M-Y-C-H-A-L-S.org. And then there's a link there for the print shop. There's a link there for the, for the bakery. There's a link there for general information about who we are and what we do in the history of Michaels. But there's also, you know, as a nonprofit, there's a donate button. So people can do that as well. And just so you know, Visioneers, this very attractive and very handsome home run entertainment mug is a product of Michael's Learning Place. And if you enjoy a small business celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, 
and notify. And when we come back, we're going to talk about the viewpoint of a board member and how do you help your organization make the shift from strictly donations to something that helps the private sector. When we come right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clareau Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clareau Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClareauTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 today. I'm here with Ed Lynch, the founder of Michael's Learning Place, and our visionary question comes from Ben who asks, I'm on the board of a great charity and I want them to grow for the long term. How do I determine which products and services my charity should do in order for them to become sustainable beyond donations and grants? That's a really good question, <laughs> um, particularly when it comes to nonprofits, right? Mm -hmm. So I think it, a lot of it depends on the structure of the nonprofit. Mm -hmm. um, we're in a unique position to do what we do and why we've gone down the path we've gone down. Um, I know other nonprofits that have done products that they try to sell typically online, maybe in the community as a fair or things along those lines. But to sustain an organization requires a lot of resources, mm. right? If we compared our bakery with our print shop, you have to sell an awful lot of cookies to create the kind of revenue you can make from one t-shirt selling or one embroidered polo, right? Right. So where would the, where's the, what direction would you say I go in? Right. Clearly it's the print shop, right? right? We know, and that's the kind of, again, a scalable business can be put in other communities where there's a need. I would also tend to think that the choice of product or service would depend upon the kind of resources as far as personnel you have at hand because the people that you have may not be sufficiently able or qualified to do other things that could be sold. Right. So, again, as the print shop started to grow, we needed somebody at Jose's level. Right. Right. So if Jose's out sick, we don't close the print shop. Jose wants to spend time with his family during the week. We don't have to close the print shop. Right. It took us about seven months to find somebody. Mm. And he just happened to walk into the building one day. <laughs> Lived down the block. Right. Was curious and interested on a Friday. Came in, introduced himself to Jose. Came back the following Tuesday, interviewed and hired. Great guy. He could run the print shop just like Jose does. Right. A little bit of luck, right? And because I'm not a complacent person and I... You'll never catch me just like, okay, I've done enough. It's right. time to just, well, I'll just collect the check. That's not who I am. Right. The day that happened is the day I leave. Right. right. And so we had started a couple of other projects that we thought could be a source of revenue. Right. One of them was um, car washing. Okay. Not detailing, but washing. So go to a local business, set up a car wash. And, and this is something organizations can do. Right. The problem is it took about hour and a half, two hours for three students and one staff to wash a car. And if I want to pay... Not exactly efficient, no. So if I want to pay my students, I mean, are you going to give me $100 to wash the car? Right? So, 
But what we learn from that, again, are life skills. Right. Everything is an opportunity to learn, right? So now Johnny learned how to do a lot of the skills involved with washing a car. Right. Now Johnny should be helping the parents wash the car. Just because he has a disability doesn't mean he can, can't do something. Right. We don't know until we try. Right. The next project, um, which one of my board members, um, Jerry, former board members, um, he would have a good laugh about this one. Right. And we made cat structures, cat trees. You know, oh, once, yeah. I reached out to um, my wife works at Mattel and reached out to one of the designers and they created a cat structure like an Ikea product. Breakdown goes into a box this thick. Right. So 18 by 18, four inches thick. There's your tree. Easily send that off in UPS. Absolutely, if you had a customer. Right. And if being <laughs> if, a keyword. If, if being yeah. a keyword. And so we're off to the races. Um, a furniture company, Modernica, based out of downtown Los Angeles, they donated all the plywood scraps. So we're keeping that out of the landfill. Uh, a company called IRS down in, uh, I think it's in the city of Bell, California, donated all the carpet scraps. Mm. Um, some products we did have to buy, but they were pretty cool. So right. Johnny learned how to use a chop saw. Johnny learned how to use a nail gun. Johnny learned how to put these things together and package them. The problem is it's not a really big market for those when you can go on some of these big box stores right. and pick one up for next to nothing. Right. So what we ended from that was we had this great table runner that had a logo for the cat structures. That was wonderful. <laughs> and um, yeah, so we let that one go. Oh, sure. And Jerry would laugh at me because I was gung-ho about it. And again, they learned some valuable skills. Right. And um, and you have 6,000 of them still in a warehouse No, somewhere. those things are long gone. Those things are long gone. Um, that's a memory. But that's okay. So the right. point being is if there's a nonprofit that you know, has a gardening program, right? You know, why can't you sell your 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 grow your goods to local restaurants? Why right. can't you sell your herbs to local restaurants? So I think you're just thinking outside the box. Right. Anything is possible, right? And do I want my organization to be here? Like I said, long after I'm gone, yes. Right. Do I want it to be dependent on government resources to keep my doors open? No. Um, so back to the question about what the board member can do. The board member can reach out to the community. He can bring people into that organization and talk to them about what the organization does. That's how you grow support. That's how you get the individual donors. There may be an opportunity that comes along from a local business owner that wants to partner with you. Right. Or one of the board members themselves may have Absolutely. a resource or three. Absolutely. After all, that's why you have board members right. is for right. resources. I mean, if you work with, you know, um, kids in foster care that are in transitioning out, why not create a business that they can do? Right. Right. It, they could do a print shop. They right. could do a print shop down the block from us. Props to you. Right. Right. But I think anything is possible. Just out of curiosity, what businesses did you own before? So before I started Michael's and um, I managed some properties in Santa Monica and on the west side of California, mm -hmm. um, Los Angeles, California. And so I did that, and then I had a janitorial business. What started off as doing small little homes and weekly mm -hmm. customers turned into a new construction cleanup, you know, nice. projects that were built. Again, it was about having my free time and right. having my time and me having control over that time. And so when my daughter was here, the cleaning business allowed me to be home when the school bus came. Nice. Right? And I remember when she was here, 
and I tell a couple of stories about my daughter and because she lacked in the fine, mo fine motor skills, when we played Barbies, I played Barbies. I sat there and I did all the things that girl, little girls do with their Barbies. I cross-dressed right. them, I got them married, I cut their hair, I did all of this stuff right. because she couldn't do it. And so there was that there. And I remember I was doing some work in the front of the house while she was taking a nap or something like that. And I'm thinking, what do I need to do with my life? What, what am I supposed to be doing? And at that moment, it was to be in there with her. It was to be doing anything else, right? And the opportunity came along to start Michaels and or to work for another organization. And then when it became obvious for me to start Michaels, I knew it was the right thing to do. And let me tell you a quick story. There was an organization out of Culver City, California that I wanted to partner with. I wanted them to umbrella me as a nonprofit till I can get my own 501c3 and do this on my own. And I met with their board twice. Um, first time, question and answers, wanted more information. The next board meeting I came down. Now, mind you, I've been associated with that organization since 1988. Special needs group, works with adults. And when they decided at the end of the meeting, the second meeting, they did not want to partner with me, which kind of floored me because I'd known them for so long. And I remember before I went home to just kind of vent, I went to Home Depot in the marina and I just walked the aisles at night. And I'm just, my mind is processing it because I didn't want to bring this frustration home. And I had this literal stabbing pain in my lower back. And when I made the decision to do this on my own, like that, the back pain went away. To me, it was obvious. I've had people tell me I would never get Michaels off the ground without their help, but they didn't want to help. So here we are today, and I love that organization that I worked with before, but they're in a box. I'm not in a box. I, I don't function in a box. As most business owners don't, I don't function in a box. And I want that freedom to grow, which every business wants, right? And so by being the founder, I have that ability to kind of create, and my board supports the vision and my future growth because, you know, we have a capital campaign, which was to buy the print shop. Now it's to get a space to have our own cafe, brick and mortar cafe that we own. And, you know, they were working on a timeline and one of my board members, God bless him, he's, he's putting together the timeline and then he adds after the cafe is already purchased, what's next? Right. Because there'll always be something else or it's time to walk away. Do you still have your daughter's Barbie dolls? No. So she had a lot of a lot of cousins, and a lot of those were passed on. I do have her old Cabbage Patch doll. Um, I have her walker. There's a lot of things I still have with my daughter. Yeah, she's with me every day. Yeah, and we'll be right back. The reason we're here talking with Ed Lynch, the founder of Michael's Learning Place, is because of support from visioneers like you through our Patreon page. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration and your support allows us to go ahead and grow the visioneer community. So go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration and show your support for Visioneer Nation today. I'm here with Ed Lynch, the founder of Michael's Learning Place, and our visionary question comes from Anna Ray, who asks, I'm trying to educate my board member colleagues that offering products and services over donations is the best path to long-term sustainability. What did you do to convince your board and executive directors that this is the best path to take? 
When I first approach the board about any of the business ideas, it's about creating awareness and raising revenue for the organization. Uh, that's the key, that's raising the key. revenue. Right. And if I want the organization to be around for a long, long time, you know, we're, we're in our 21st year right now and 50 years to be here, how are we going to do that? Mm. Right. So if we have control of our own destiny, right, and our financial destiny and our well-being, how do you do that? You either continue to ask for donations, you continue to do, you know, your rubber chicken events, which we raise a lot of money at ours because um, we need that revenue. Right. But if you have a product design, a product idea that society and the community needs, right. not a novelty, you know, and then you have to think about what's the kind of revenue that's going to come in to keep, what do I need to keep my doors open? Right. Is it a product that's going to end up in the trash can at the end of the night? Right. Is it a candle? Right. right, which are great. It's a wonderful small business. You have to sell a lot of candles to fund an organization. Right. So when we started the print shop, more so than even the bakery, when we started the print shop, we run it as if it's a for-profit. And the money is go back into our organization as a non-profit. Mm. So the financial responsibility and accountability is that we're a non-profit. Right. Print shop's a non-profit. But if I want growth and sustainability, we have to continue to grow it as if it's a for-profit. Is the structure of your organization such that the print shop has its own manager, has its own staff, they have their own budget, they have their own P&L, they have everything that a traditional business has that goes through and allows you to report back to you and the board as to the print shop's performance? Absolutely. And, and that one even more so. Mm. I mean, the cafe and the bakery, those two kind of go together. Right. The print shop, because I see the vision, mm -hmm five years from now, better to start off now doing it correctly and learn when there's minimal mistakes Risk. to be made, risks, right. right? As opposed to, oh, let's just redevelop, let's develop what it should look like. No, right. we've got a plan in place that we're continuing to work on and develop. So when we do find a community partner out there that works with the same population, they have to work with the same population for us to duplicate this, then we have everything in a binder. It's not reinventing the wheel, five years down the line. You're creating a process. Yeah, so a system. Yeah, a system. Boy, that sounds like a business. Efficiencies. <laughs> it's, all, it's all about efficiencies. And what can we do better? And we are constantly looking in every aspect of Michael's Learning Place and all our programs, social enterprises, what we can do better right. and more efficiently. Now, I have to ask, because I went into your office while we were getting ready for the show, and I saw a counter full of gumball machines, okay? What's the story behind that? Because some of them are classics. There's no way you can find them. They're all classics. Okay. So excuse me. Um, <laughs> no, I don't like the, I don't like the fake, rep, ret, you know, what do they call them? Um, retros, uh, reproductions. Right. I don't like okay. the fake sure. reproduction gumball machines. What started off is I had one of my clients, a cleaning client, they had one on the stand. Right. That's the one I wanted. That was, right. that was my very first machine. Right. My second machine is we had the big earthquake in 1993. Right. And I was driving down 7th Street in Santa Monica, California, and I saw this one machine on the side of the road at a yard sale. And I bought it for 15 bucks. Things worth probably $400 now. Right. And I just, that became my thing to collect. And... Things would come along, I'd get birthday gifts, 
my wife, you know, what do you want? Oh, well, you can't go wrong with a gumball machine. <laughs> but just don't get me one of the fake ones. No, it's got to be the real thing. I don't want the fake ones. And so that's kind of how it all started. So the ones you saw in my office, I think there's maybe 12 in there. And then I've got about three or four more at home that aren't the kind I'd want to display. Right. Yeah. What have you learned from collecting gumball machines that you apply here to Michael's Learning Place? I collect them because I want to do them and okay. I want to collect them. Not that I want to do them. I want to collect them. But also, <clears throat> it's my space. It's my office. My staff can do whatever they want to do in their offices. You want to hang up black light posters? You go for it that nothing's going to stop me. My wife would tell you that I don't see barriers, right? So you had asked earlier, you know, for other businesses that are maybe struggling and trying to figure out what to do and how to move forward. I'm not an expert at it by any means. All I know is what I've done. Okay. And what I've done is I refuse to say I can't. I will adjust if I have to. I will pivot if I have to. Those other two little businesses we tried to start didn't work out. Now that could have just stopped me from creating, but if anything, you learn from that. Right. You know, what does make more sense? Cat structures or printing t-shirts? But also, it's being able to discern, I want the real gumball machine. I don't want the fake reproduction. Right, right. So unfortunately, I don't have the budget for the really expensive ones. <laughs> right. It'd be like people collecting watches. Right. Do I want to collect a $30 watch or would I love to have an old antique watch with right. leather strap and the beautiful face or, and a Rolex? And I don't have the budget for that. So right. you adjust to what you have. I love those. Probably will not get any more gumball machines. Um, he says no. <laughs> um, I'm lucky enough to have a space that's big enough to accommodate those. Right. Um, but I, you're right, I just say that now. <laughs> Having a successful nonprofit for 21 years, you're bound to have somebody that is going to walk up with bright eyes and bushy tails and excitement and say, I want to start my own nonprofit organization. And you tell them, Great, just don't do. As it just works. don't quit. Okay. I mean, if you want it enough and it's in your heart, right? I mean, if you want something bad enough, you do whatever it takes to get there, right? I, I mean, if we had this conversation 15 years ago, I don't know if we'd be in the position we are, right? But you, opportunities, one of my board members used to say there's luck in everything, and there is luck in everything. Right. You know, we've been put in search, certain situations that I'm just blown away by because people want to support, people want to help. And so if you've got an idea, just make it happen and don't be afraid to ask for help. People think we have to do it all ourselves. We do not have to do it ourselves. Again, we would not be here if I tried to do it all myself. If I was in the weeds with everything, we wouldn't have started these other the social enterprises because I'd be in the weeds with program stuff. If visionaries around the country and around the world want to get in touch with you and support Michael's Learning Place, how do they do that? Well, through our website, first of all, www.michaels.org. Uh, you can also reach out to us. We can have a conversation, and that main number is 310-297-9333. Uh, we've gotten donations from all over the world. Mm -hmm. uh, individuals want to help and want to support what we do. And how? what kind of a donation? Is this just a cash donation? So cash donations are great. We've had people donate cars and stock. Um, somebody has a building for a cafe in the 
South Bay part of California. <laughs> hey, uh, we're here waiting for you. Um, you know, nonprofits, we have to be open to whatever somebody wants to donate. Right. And if it makes sense for the organization and doesn't conflict with the work that we're doing, we open them openly accept those donations with open arms. And I'll be right back with my final thoughts. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clareau Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clareau Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClareauTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 today. Necessity is the mother of invention. One of the things I really enjoyed about our guest this week here on Small Business Celebration is the realization that he had to diversify the revenue streams coming into Michael's place. And here we are in January, the month of reinvention and growth. This is the month where we start implementing the ideas and the thoughts and the plans that we made last quarter into the new year. And where we also think about, okay, how do I go through and diversify the revenue coming into my business? What can I do to help make my business stronger and healthier moving forward in the new year? After all, necessity is the mother of invention. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Ed Lynch, the founder of Michael's Place, and I hope you join us next week where we celebrate more small businesses for big breakthroughs. And we'll see you here again next week. By the way, before I forget, I like to start with a dad joke. So a priest, and how do you prevent a priest, a minister, and a rabbi from winning a limbo contest? I don't know. Have them walk into a bar. I had a feeling it was going to be something like that. With alcohol. I almost said something about alcohol. There you go. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. And our guest this week is Ed Lynch. I see social enterprises keeping our doors open five years from now, ten years from now, where if government funding goes away, we can just wave goodbye and not worry about it. Wow. <laughs> I told you I can go off, and you've got to kind of rile me in if you need to. Uh, no, there's lots of use there. Uh, I was going to say you run out of disk space already. Not a short answer. Yeah, there's no short answers with that. <laughs>
Welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're starting a brand new series on small business sustainability. And our guest this week, well, he owns a tractor business that helps his customers keep plowing through until the job gets done. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Brian Nagnetti, the president of San Joaquin Tractor Company. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Well, thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. And for visioners who don't know who you are, who are you and well, what is it that you do? My name is Brian Agnetti. Uh, I'm the president of San Joaquin Tractor. And for visioners, if you're listening to this program, we are on the corner of Union and California here in Bakersfield. And this is a pretty major intersection. So if you're hearing traffic going by or employees walking by talking about stuff, this is a very much an open and active business. This is, and this is like a farmer's dream. I mean, you've got yeah. tr all kinds of tractors and equipment and oh my gosh, you got all kinds of great stuff here. At what point did your dad say, okay, son, I can't do this anymore. It's all yours. He would never say that. Even okay. the last, I mean, and, and, and we were at odds many times because he had this older philosophy right. that uh, if you were more than 50 miles away and we couldn't drive to it and put our hand on the tractor, right. uh, he did not want to sell it. Okay. And I, I tried to explain to dad numerous times that when with the advances of the internet, we will get calls further than 50 miles. <laughs> it's just and gonna so, happen. Yeah, so it was a battle for many years. And now you sell tractor equipment as far as Arizona? No, we, we just sent one to Saipan the other day. Where's Saipan? Saipan is one of those Pacific islands. When you get to Hawaii, yeah. you still have to go another five hours. Wow, and you sent a tractor. Yeah. Yeah, Holy we sent a tractor there. There's another island called American Samoa. Right. We just sure. sent one there the other day. Right. We've sent numerous tractors to Guam, sent them to Africa, you name it. I mean, we, and the reason for that is because we're only 120 miles from the Long Beach port. Uh huh. And so we use that to our advantage. For the visioneer who isn't familiar with what it is that you carry, Give us an example of who your typical customer is. Our typical customer is your guy that has one or two acres, okay. typically mountain communities. Let's just use Tehachapi, for example. Okay. That's a, that's, everyone up there seems to have one acre. Right. They've never owned a tractor before. They've always wanted one. Right. They don't know anything about them. Right. And so when they come in, we have to ask them, what do you want to do with the tractor? Mm -hmm. And we try to figure out what size of a tractor that they may need to do right. that application. So the kinds of things that a lot of your customers do, are they into brush clearing? Are they trying to dig a moat around their house, especially with all the rain and flooding we've been having lately? Yeah. What, what are the kinds of things that your customers typically use the tractor for? Well, if you like to garden, you'll want a small tractor with a rototiller on the back. Okay. They want a disc, because maybe you have six or eight or 10 acres and you want to build a fire break around your property ah. once a year. So you would pull a disc once a year. 
And that's very important, especially here in California in the more rural areas where you have to do weed abatement and brush abatement because of fire oh, season. Oh, yeah. That's a big business, really? the weed abatement. Yeah, we have, there's many of weed abatement customers that we have. Right. And they have contracts with the cities of Lancaster, Ridgecrest, and that's what they do. They, they mow weeds for the city. <laughs> sure, <laughs> right. What happens if they don't give you a call and they don't come and buy a tractor from you? What's, what's well, I, I guess two things okay. uh, uh, stand out the most. The first thing is you're going to have to do it by hand. Uh. And, yeah, uh, my back doesn't do that. No, that, and the second thing, if, if you want to pay someone to do it, you have to hire it done. Oh. And, you know, that's just never a lot of fun. And if you have to hire somebody to do it and it's done wrong. You're at their mercy. Yeah. You, you, if they say they're going to show up and they don't show up, nothing you can do about it. And then there's the county there sitting there with a fine book because you're rushed in. Absolutely. Yes, <laughs> so, that's for sure. For those of us that, you know, we grew up in the Mojave Desert and we don't do a lot of ag and we're concerned about getting a tractor for the first time, you know, I, I can drive a manual transmission, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of the extent of being able to drive. I have no idea how to drive one of these yeah. things. How hard is it to learn how to drive one of these things? So tractors? the manual transmissions are still around, believe it or not, okay. but they're not a big deal anymore. I mean, nowadays, the newer technology is called a hydrostat transmission. A hydrostat. Hydrostat okay. means when you get on the tractor, you have different ranges. You have a high, medium, and low range. And then over on your right-hand side, there's a pedal. One pedal will have a, fo a forward arrow and one will have a reverse arrow. So I can have you driving a tractor like this in less than 10 minutes like you've been on it for 20 years. And if I buy this tractor and I'm out there with my one or two acres, possibly three, knocking down weeds and having more fun mm -hmm. than a human is allowed to have, mm -hmm. and then it breaks. Now, my wife knows that I am the least mechanically competent mm -hmm. person in the world. In fact, and often I make things worse when I try to fix them. But this tractor I just bought or have had for a couple of years is now stuck out in the field. What do I do? So you would call us. Okay. Uh, we tend to concentrate in certain areas. That way we get a lot of tractors into that one area. And because of that, we can always have a mechanic in that area. Ah. Uh, so like Tehachapi, for example, right. we usually have a mechanic in that area two to three days a week. And they can go ahead and they can pull it out or fix it so you can just drive it out. Hopefully the they can fix it right there. If right. not, we will send our trailer for it. You have your own trailer? Yes, we have a full-time driver. That's all he does is pick up tractors and bring them back. And for the visioneers who aren't familiar, what, what lines of tractors do you carry? For farmers, the Massey Ferguson line is our, is our big seller. Okay. For your one acre homeowner, this Coyote line is a great seller for us. Okay. It's a smaller tractor. They're all four wheel drive. Right. The TYM line is also a big line for us for the small acreage homeowners. And when you're saying small acreage, you're talking like half an acre, one yeah. acre, kind of. Yeah. I've got a, I got a large lawn. Yeah, I yeah, no, okay. those, those tractors are great. They're diesel tractors, okay. four-wheel drive, hydrostat transmissions. They're great tractors. And then you carry something from New Zealand? 
Yeah, yeah. So it's it's called a tuatara. Tuatara, okay. Yeah, and they look like a little Hummer. It's a it's a UTV, okay. a utility vehicle. Okay. Some people call them side by sides. Right. You can either get them in a gas engine or an electric motor. Electric, really? Mm-hmm. Is this does this currently and this is as of you know January of 2023? Is there are there rebates that you can get? There you? is yes. If you own a working ranch, mm -hmm. if you, uh, the the state of California will pay thirteen thousand five hundred dollars. Wow! For for the electric model, they won't pay for the gas model. Well, and if visioneers want to get in touch with you and learn more about these tractors you have to offer, okay. how do they do that? Well, we're, we're all over social media. Okay. We're on Facebook. We're on LinkedIn. Uh, heck, I think we're even on TikTok nowadays. <laughs> uh, and you have YouTube videos. And we have lots of YouTube videos. Sure, yes, sure. yes, we believe in those. And for those uh, of us that are stuck back in the, the, the dark ages, uh, if we want to pick up this thing called a telephone yeah so how do we reach you? we would love for you to give us a call you can reach us at 661-324-4517 you could also stop by our office here in bakersfield at 1201 union avenue and you also have two other locations in we have a location in wasco and one in delano and when we come back we're going to talk to brian about how does your business evolve and change and sustain over three generations by keeping your old customers satisfied with what you can offer your new customers. And if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify, and we'll talk more about small business sustainability when we come right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching. But are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. I'm here with Brian Nagnetti, the president of San Joaquin Tractor Company, and our vision or question comes from Anita who asks, we tweak what we sell to sustain our business. How did changing what you sold change your business, and how did that change affecting your existing customers? Heck, over the years, we've tried many things. Yeah. We were in the forklift business at one point. Really? And it was somewhat profitable, but I, I just feel like we didn't do as good as some of those big forklift companies. Mm, how so? so? Well, it's like anything else. If you only put one foot into it, you're never going to be as good as another guy that puts both feet in. Sure. They may have uh, an IKEA building with a hundred forklifts running in there, and uh, they can they can send a mechanic out and do ten oil changes in a day. Right. So it just it, we ended up giving up on the forklifts. At what point did you get into the smaller tractor business? About. 12 years ago, right. I came to, I went to my dad and said, hey, dad, we, 
these there is a lot more hobby farmers now than there used to be right and we have to that we've got to get more involved in these small hobby farmers and, and his reaction was absolutely son let's do it right now yeah right <laughs> it's a challenge when you're working with people not only him i was right. working with five other people that, that had been here for close to 40 years each right and I was the young play, the young buck that didn't know anything they said. Right. So it was a challenge for me to get that through to these people that this was the direction we needed to go. What was the tipping point? You know, when we started selling a hundred of them a year. <laughs> <laughs> now, yeah. are you still selling about a hundred a year? No, a lot more nowadays. Okay, yeah. so let's just use those numbers. One of these, one of these coyotes that's behind you, just roughly, retails for how much? Uh, this one would retail for about twenty-four, twenty-five thousand dollars. The way it sits. So it's twenty-five thousand dollars times a hundred. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you walk into your dad w with a P&L statement, profit yeah. loss statement, and show him, uh, Dad? <laughs> no, Dad never looked at those. <laughs> uh, uh, along with this tractor comes with, you've got about six different implements that you sell right. along with this. You've got a, a mower, a rototiller, a box blade, post hole digger, fork attachments, trenchers, backhoes. I mean, I can go on for days. Sure, right. What was the point in which your dad finally said, okay, son, you're right? Uh, I would say a good eight years ago is when he finally gave in to me and would allow me to start ordering in the, the, the numbers that I wanted to order in. And the rest, as they say, is yes, history. Is history, yes. It's a major part of your business now. It, it really is a big part of our business. We got a call earlier today from a guy in Mammoth. Really? So we're going to hopefully be sending a tractor up to Mammoth. Now, you mentioned earlier that you sell a lot of tractors up in, in, in the Sierra, and including Tehachapi. And there's one particular customer that I, I really want you to single out real quick. And, and tell us about her and tell yeah. us about the experience. So that happened about four years ago. Okay. She's in Tehachapi. Right. Her husband was sick mm -hmm. with cancer. Right. I think it was stage four cancer at that time. I don't remember where it was, but he was, he was not going to make it. Right, and, sure. Uh, she wanted a small tractor, so we, she ended up buying a small tractor, and she would call me every month wanting me to drive up there and help her take the box blade off so she, would, so she could put the, the, the backhoe attachment on or whatever. Right. And, and I did that for many years. And to this day, she still calls once in a while, and, Hello, I, and I run up there when she does. Now, one of the things that is well known that happened here at this very location here in Bakersfield, this was about 10 years ago? No, no, it was uh, 1998. For those of you who don't know about Bakersfield, this building here is a fixture. It's outlasted a lot of the hotels and motels at this very intersection. And in 1996, it caught fire. Yeah, I think it was 1998 or okay. give or take a year. Uh, but yeah, we had a big fire. I mean, it, it wiped out our entire store. Really? Uh, 
The outside shell was still intact, but everything on the inside was completely demolished. Wow. Along with all of our tractors we had inside here, they were antique tractors. We oh, had about no. 15 of them in here, and wow. everyone got burned up. How'd this affect you? Because your dad was running the show at the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. dad was running the show at that time. Uh, it, 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 it devastated us. Mm. Uh, it's the first time I ever saw my dad cry. Really? Never forget it. Yes, he yeah. was laying in his recliner and just broke down. He, we, he went home that day and we didn't, we didn't know what to do. We, we ended up having really good insurance and they, they were great to us. And so it all worked out in the end. Did you ever find out what the cause of the fire was? Uh, yeah, they did an investigation. It was just 50-year-old wiring. And there's a lesson right there. Yeah. Yeah. You had insurance. Uh-huh. And they rebuilt. Uh -huh. what, what was the rebuilding process like? Well, my dad was friends with the Columbo's uh, construction people over there, so he was right. adamant about them doing it. And... Uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, it was kind of cool to be able to say, I want my office here and I want my office there. Right. And dad was adamant about uh, a meeting room, uh, the biggest room. Right. And he wanted a big table in there. And uh, so, you know, wine chiller and all that fancy stuff. <laughs> yeah. You can't have a sale of a tractor without wine. Right, right, yeah. <laughs> When we come back, we're going to talk about not being reactionary. How do you not just spontaneously fly off the handle when something doesn't go your way? Will we come right back? The reason we're here with Brian today is because of the financial support that comes from visionaries just like you. It's because of your financial support on our Patreon page at patreon.com forward slash small business celebration that allows us to go ahead and interview business owners like Brian to help you grow strong and profitable business. So reach out to us on patreon.com forward slash small business celebration where you can get additional content, additional information, and help your small business have big breakthroughs. I'm here with Brian Agnetti, the president of San Joaquin Tractor Company, and our visionary question comes from Ryan who asks, we're teaching our employees how to think ahead instead of being reactionary. What do you do that works across multiple locations? I can tell you what the typical answer is with just about every dealership. Okay. And that is, let's trade them out of it. If they're unhappy with the equipment, let's, let's trade them out of it and let's get them into something else. Right. I, I think when you trade someone out of something, you have to offer them less than what they paid right. in order for the company to, to profit from it. So I don't agree with that philosophy. What for, do you do instead? Well, for many years now, uh, it's only happened, well, one time in 2022. Okay. Uh, one time in 2022, a customer bought a piece of equipment. Right. And uh, he wasn't happy with it. Right. It didn't go fast enough. Okay. I don't blame him. It's not a, it's not something you would take to the dunes and go 70 miles an hour with it. Sure, right. It only right. goes 25 miles an hour. <laughs> and what we did was we found a buyer for it and uh, we were able to get him every bit of his money back. That's so so this, is, this is brilliant. So you've got the customer that comes in that isn't happy with the tractor. Mm -hmm. 
and you turned around and resold the tractor to somebody else for yes. him. And, we, and the company just didn't make any money on it. But we kept a, a, a customer and we kept a friend over it. That's brilliant because you've kept the customer and you don't have any dead stock. And one of our best customers, a beta weed on Rosedale Highway, is happy with their machine. <laughs> That's brilliant. That's customer service perfection right there. <laughs> yes. Yes. Now, you've been doing this business for 30 years. Uh-huh. And you've had enough success that you're able to enjoy the fruits of the success, and you like to hunt. I do, what yes. Ki what kinds of hunting do you enjoy? Well, my dad was a big outdoorsman. Yeah. Uh, that's what we did just about every weekend. Right. Um, heck, I can remember dad would take me out of school on a Wednesday, or no, he would leave on a Wednesday to Utah. He would make my mother take me to the airport on a Friday. Right. And I would hunt, I would fly to Salt Lake City right. or wherever and hunt the weekend. And I was back on the airplane and back at school the following Monday. And you started doing this when you were how old? Uh, I was five years old when I got my, my hunter <laughs> safety permit. Yes. <laughs> Your first hunting license yeah. at five. Uh huh. And, and how often do you hunt now? Oh, I, I hunt in about four to five states each year. Right. Uh, Utah, uh, Utah uh, Arizona, New Mexico. Uh, last year I was in Alaska. Right. Uh, going to Mexico here in March. What have you learned? from your hunting experiences that you apply to your business? I've learned that if you, have, if you don't have any luck with, with finding a deer, okay. and, uh, which would be equivalent to if you have a customer that shoots you down or gives you what they call sales resistance, okay. I've learned that you've got to brush it off and move on to the next one. I feel like that's been a valuable lesson to me. Next. Mm-hmm. Do you have any children? I have one son and two step stepchildren. Have you gotten them into the hunting game? My son, yes. Nice. Oh, nice. Yeah. What kinds of trips do you like to take him on? Uh, well, we, we uh, I asked him yesterday if he wanted to go to Flagstaff with me this this uh, August on right. an archery deer hunt. Right. We've been to Idaho multiple times. Uh, we've done uh, last year we did a New Mexico hunt together. Right. I wanted to include him in my Mexico hunt in March, but uh, he just graduated the Electrical Lineman College. Ah. And so he's fixing these power lines now. <laughs> With all the rainstorms we've been having oh, recently. Yeah, sure, yeah. sure, sure. You've had a wide variety of customers over the years, and you've got a lot of business owners that come through your door oh, as yeah. well. Oh, yeah. What's one of the reoccurring issues or challenges that you've noticed that a lot of business owners have that, that, that you've been working with? Oh, I think it's always the same thing. Uh, okay. Managing the employees or just okay. managing people in general. Why is this a problem? I, I, most of the time, I think this company runs itself. I right. mean, we have we finally gotten to the point at this company where a tractor shows up. Uh, uh, we have a guy that unloads it, takes it to the wash rack, gets it cleaned up. We have a routine, so right. the company runs itself. Right. It's managing the people that is the challenge, mm. and everyone has has different thoughts of how things need to be done. How how do you deal with that here at the San Joaquin? Well, when you've when you have people that have been with you for over 30 years like right. I do. Right. You begin to 
treat them like your brother or sister. So we have no problem telling someone, hey, you're wrong, and I don't want to hear it anymore. <laughs> right? Sure, sure. And I'm told that a lot, too. <laughs> Tell the boss I don't like it. I don't like it. He's wrong. What makes you wake up every morning and well, open your business? Have you ever seen a struggling business owner? Every day. It's just no fun. I don't want to be that guy. How do you not be that guy? Per perseverance. Um, fight through the, these issues that we have and figure out how to solve the problems and, and do better. In order to solve these problems, do you have friends, colleagues, a network of people that you lean on to, to help you with these issues? I do, yes. I have multiple business owners, friends of my dad's, uh, that I call on a regular basis mm. and I say, hey, I've got this problem and I need to know what you would think, I, what should I do about it? Right, right. All the time. Just yesterday it happened. How so? We talked about tax write-offs, a buddy of mine. Right. And uh, he, he was opening my eyes to different things that I could be writing off through the company that right. I wasn't aware of. Ah, right. This is not an endorsement or solicitation <laughs> or any other legal clause you want to put in here at this point. <laughs> well, if visioneers want to learn more about you and San Joaquin Tractor Company, how do they do that? Come in, come in and see us. We're at the corner of California and Union, 1201 Union Avenue. Uh, phone number is 661-324-4517. Uh, we are on Facebook. You can message us. We're on Instagram, LinkedIn, and I believe we're even on TikTok nowadays. And I'll be right back with my final thought. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clareau Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clareau Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClareauTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 today. A resolution worth fighting for. A couple weeks ago, I was having coffee with a visioner friend of mine, and we were talking about New Year's resolutions, and more importantly, why they don't work. And we were talking about how they often are the type of, I'm going to lose 10 pounds this year, or I'm going to read a book a month, or I'm going to grow my business by 6,000%. But the problem with those kinds of resolutions is that your heart really isn't into them. You may think you want them, but your heart isn't really there. And as we were talking, he's preached this to his clients over and over again about how resolutions are just simply a waste of time. So you can imagine how surprised I was when he said, Michael, I have a New Year's resolution. And I asked, well, what is it and what happened? And he said, well, back in November, I was sitting at my desk planning out the coming year when my young son came up to me and asked, Daddy, 
are you going to watch me in the Christmas pageant this year? And I looked at him and I said, well, of course, I'd be happy to. And my young son looked at me and said, but daddy, won't you have to work? My friend went to watch his son in the Christmas pageant and he decided that he was going to make a resolution for the coming year. He was going to make sure that his family really did come before his business. A resolution worth fighting for. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Brian Nagnetti, the president of San Joaquin Tractor Company. And I hope you join us here again next week as we showcase another business that's having big breakthroughs. By the way, what happens when an old tractor's tire falls off? An old, when an old tractor's tire falls off, it sits on the side of the road and everyone blames the dealer because they say the tractor is broke. And then the farmer will tell all of his friends, hey, this tractor has been broken. This dealer hasn't been out to fix it. So that's exactly what happens. And all this time, I thought they just retired it. Uh, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> Welcome to Small Business Celebration. And our guest this week is... Welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're continuing our series in small business sustainability. And our guest this week, while well, he is well-born in commerce. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Zelb Wellborn, the president of Wellborn Media and president of the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Well, thank you. I'm very excited to be chatting to you about our business today. For visionaries who don't know who you are, who are you and what is it that you do? So my name is Zeb Wellborn. I'm president of Wellborn Media. We do online marketing for passionate business owners. I'm also president for the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce, where we help local businesses. For visioneers who aren't familiar with what Wellborn Media is, you, you help with social media for ambitious business owners. What is that? I guess I love working with passionate business owners to help them grow and expand their business. Mm -hmm. So we handle their social media, okay. meaning we do their social media for them uh, to promote their business out into the world. What kinds of social media platforms do you specialize? So we started out with you know, like the normal ones, right. Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, 
Uh, there's been some that have been added over the years. So TikTok is some, Instagram is, we do a lot of Instagram posting now. Right. So it's really what the target market of the businesses that we're working with is right. and helping them use the social media platforms that make the most sense for them. How do you define what platforms are going to work for them? It's based on their target market. Okay. So we work with a business. I'll do a consulting session where we'll chat about their business. Right. And what's the low-hanging fruit? What's the thing that maybe you're not doing that you could take advantage of? Right. And those are the things that we try to implement for our businesses so that they are taking care of those things so they can grow their business and not worry about their social media presence. Social media is a very... Uh, you know, it's a viral platform. The right. things that do well on there are things that are unique and have some kind of novelty to them. Right, sure. So we are a little selective in the businesses that we work with right. because we want to make sure that it's successful. Right. But there are also different objectives for mm. businesses. So the main one that most businesses want is we want more sales. I want more people to hire Who doesn't? Us. Who doesn't, right? Exactly. Uh, but there are a lot of businesses who understand that it's important for the long game to build relationships mm. and to foster those relationships right. through social media. And so those businesses often tend to do well on social media as well. One of the things that I've heard from a lot of business owners about social media companies and one of the challenges that they have is that the social media company doesn't necessarily take the time to come to their business, to take pictures of their business when their business is in action. Is that something that you do? Yes, we do. And so what we do, I, what I would say is, is we work very closely with the businesses that we put plans in place for. Okay. So some of them don't want that. A lot of them do, but not all of them do. Right. Uh, because they think that they don't have anything to showcase. And even if it's like a small apartment, like just in the setup for this presentation, you got a chance to look around our office, right. see the little knickknacks that we have sure. around the office. Right. And you, those are things of interest that would be of interest to people who don't get a chance to visit the area. So those are things that I would encourage businesses to do, but not all of them want to do it. So yes, we do go in there and take pictures, but oftentimes businesses want to portray themselves not with their knickknacks, they just have a different vision. Right. So we kind of work with the owners of the business to enhance their vision that they have for marketing their business through social media. You make it personable. We try to, yes. One of the other things that you also do is you do public speaking. I, I do, yes. How does that tie into Wellborn Media? So when I started social media, this is 10 years ago. It's funny because everybody says this that gets involved with social media. I just was not a social media fan right. before getting involved in doing social media. Right. But once you realize the impact and the influence that social media can right. have and does have, it's kind of a no-brainer to get involved in. So when I started 10 years ago, I was still one of the newcomers to this. Right. So I started educating our business community about uh. that. And, and interestingly enough, when I joined this 10 years ago, my very first big engagement was right there uh, where I spoke about uh, using Facebook to grow your business. Sure. And that was about 10, 12 years ago. <laughs> How did you get involved with the chamber? Because so many business owners either look at a chamber as a time vampire or as a one-way transaction kind of thing, but your experience was very different as a business owner here with the Chino Valley Chamber. Yeah, I think it's like my mindset more so than anything else. Okay. When I looked at, the reason why I joined the chamber was because when I started my business, mm -hmm. I knew nothing about business and I needed uh... mentors. I needed people that knew business locally they could, I could seek out for advice. And so I figured there's got to be some kind of business organization in my local community that I could turn to where they have like real world people who have done this that would be willing to mentor me or give me some advice or that I could just learn from by being close to. Uh, so that's why I sought that out. 
And the only thing that I found locally that fit the bill for that was the Chamber of Commerce. So you walked in through the door at the first chamber meeting and said, I have arrived, I'm here, mentor me. <laughs> Something like that. <laughs> uh, not not quite. quite. <laughs> uh, but I'll tell you the first time that I did, so the first meeting that I went to, there was an invitation to go to a mixer. It was an right. evening mixer at Chino Hills Ford, which is just down the street. Right. And I showed up there. Not only was I new to business, but I was also not new to networking so i was not i was not outgoing and would go up and introduce myself to folks so i kind of went into that event i sat i, I entered and they were kind of like doing some activity or something so i kind of sat on the side for about 20 minutes nobody acknowledged me and then i just left so my first experience was i didn't talk to a single person and i went in there and then i just left and you had exactly the success you were looking for, which is you <laughs> hid in the dark corner of the room and talked to nobody, and so you got nothing out of it. That's exactly right. So I, so, <laughs> so I learned from that experience. I tried it again. Uh, I'm not sure how long after. It was probably just a couple of weeks after, but I did come to a Wednesday morning here, and that experience was a lot different. I had, a lot, of, I had a lot of friendly business owners that welcomed uh, me, that introduced me, and they just the thing that I remember most about that first visit was how excited these business owners were to right. talk about their business. Right. And that's something that is infectious. That's something that I like being around is I like being around other people who are excited about the work that they're doing. And uh, that's very easy for me to get connected with people who love what they do. And then they suckered you in. They did, yes. How, how did they approach you to, to becoming head of the chamber? So I wasn't just involved as a member for a year and then like, you get involved, like people will pick up on things and ask you to get involved in right. things. And at the time, like I said, I didn't really have much news. I just started my business. I'm trying right. to grow it. I don't know any other way because I, so I have people that are saying, hey, you should come to this. Hey, you should come to this. Right. So I started doing that. And then ultimately you pick and choose the things that you start going to. Ah. And then ultimately uh, you start to, they start to identify you for things that are of higher importance, I would say, or higher priority for the community or the organization. So in 2012 actually they asked me to help out with social media so well I, you are a social media company so you'll do it for free right that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> what happened and i'm like all right this is my volunteer thing so yes i did do it for free and i did it for free for uh for a while but it, they didn't name me 2012 business of the year right? right so that was two years in a business and my city named me named our business wellborn media the business of the year for the city of Chino Hills, I want to say. Congratulations. Yeah, no, so it was very cool. And I remember in that moment thinking like, uh, I had made it, you know? Right, sure, <laughs> I like, have arrived. Oh yeah, and it was like all, all of that, but it was very rewarding because it was like, there's all this uncertainty that happens as a business owner. And so right. for people to, in your community to kind of validate that you're doing the right stuff was a very cool experience for me. And then shortly after that, they asked me to be on the board of directors, so I got on the board, which is all volunteer position. Right. And then uh, there was some changeover at the top. The executive director, they had let go, right. and they asked me to take it over. And, and actually, I'd done that about two years before. I did it temporarily. We found somebody. That person didn't work out. And then I did it temporarily <laughs> again. He says with big air quotes. <laughs> That's right. And then eventually, they, uh, I said yes after they asked me a bunch of times, and I'm really glad I did. If visioneers want to learn more about the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce and Wellborn Media, how do they do that? 
There is two different ways. Uh, so Wellborn Media, uh, you can find me. Zeb Wellborn is probably the best place to look. And how do you spell Zeb Wellborn? So it's Z-E-B, like the first three letters of zebra. Right. And then Wellborn is W-E-L-B-O-R-N. No E. No E. And how do people reach out to you? Phone number, address, website, social media, smoke signals. Yeah, so pigeon. wellbornmedia.com is our website. Okay. Zeb, at Zeb Wellborn is on all the social media channels. We do have social media for Wellborn Media, but most of that comes through me. Right. So I'd encourage you to check out my stuff. Uh, and then uh, their websites, we have emails that get sent out trying to educate our members on how to do better on social media. And there's lots of other things we do to help support local businesses. When we come back, we're going to talk about increasing your visibility for sustaining your business. And who better to talk about that than Zeb Wellborn with Wellborn Media. And if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify. And we'll talk about visibility for your business when we come right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching. But are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clareau Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clareau Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClareauTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clareau Tire at 661-324-6069 today. I'm here with Zeb Wellborn, the president of Wellborn Media and the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. And our visioner question comes from Jasmine who asks, my business coach is encouraging me to get out and start speaking to increase the visibility of our business. What is the process you took to grow your visibility and with whom did you start speaking in front of first? So I mentioned this in that last segment, but I did start speaking with the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. Right. So that was actually something that I felt was a deficiency of mine growing right. up. Uh, I had an extreme fear of public speaking. Right. Uh, and actually, when I started my tutoring business, they invited me to come in and speak to the Booster Club. Mm. Uh, to a basket. It was a basketball oh, booster okay. club. Okay. Sure. Right. And I went in there, and I was going to pitch them on my tutoring services, and my. My wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, came with me. I presented, and I kid you not, I stood there for about 60 seconds, not <laughs> saying a word because I was trying to think of what I was supposed to say. Right. It was the most humbling experience, <laughs> uh, but I still did. They still did sign up with me, so that was still a valuable lesson. That just by putting myself out there, oh. I had, I did end up getting the business, right. even though I totally bombed <laughs> that presentation. But uh, I did start speaking with the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce on social media. Uh, so going to your Chamber of Commerce, finding out where people give business-related presentations, mm -hmm. being able to speak to a group full of businesses is great. And I know that we do one once every week okay. here at the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. Uh, but there's tons of opportunities. Even doing like live, social media-wise, you can do live videos and that simulates speaking in front of an audience. So there's lots of things you can do. You could even do something really crazy. You could even start a YouTube channel. There you go. There you go. You got it all figured out. Or a podcast or something along those lines. Yeah. It's one thing to take the speaking engagement and directly get business from it. It's something else to take your business to the next level 
with speaking engagements. How have you been able to do that with Wellborn Media and with the Chino Valley Chamber? When I started speaking at the Chamber, I was speaking on social media. Mm -hmm. And at the time, because here locally, there wasn't many people speaking on social media. Right. Uh, and a lot, but a lot of businesses wanted to know, like, how do I use Facebook? Because that was something that was happening sure. at the time for their business. Remind you, this is 10 years ago when I started doing this. Right. Uh, so as I started speaking with those, I would get invited to speak with other groups. Right, right, right. And uh, one of the groups that hit me up was San Bernardino County Workforce Development Board. Uh, actually, it was the Small Business Development Center asked me to speak. So I spoke for them for free uh, for about a year, right. and I hit, did all of their social media workshops. San Bernardino County Workforce Development then picked me up, and they paid me to speak at their presentations. So there I was speaking in front of business owners as well. So probably over the course of the three or four years that I was doing that really extensively, I would be speaking to 100, probably about 1,000 business owners in total. Right. And that really helped get me in front of those businesses. And it also opened up more opportunities that I probably didn't anticipate, like uh, when I got that contract with the county to speak with the county, mm. there was another contract that was having me do their social media campaigns or right. being like a business consultant for other businesses. Right. So I, as a result, I got that contract too, which is something I would have never explored otherwise. As president of the Chino Valley Chamber, you are asked to speak on behalf of the chamber. What are some of the things that, you, that your progression and your in, improved abilities to speak has afforded you as head of the chamber? So I still say that's an area that I could stand to improve a lot. I think right. we all could. I speak a lot in front of the Chamber of Commerce, and one of the feedback that I get is I could probably be a little more dynamic uh, <laughs> when I'm giving presentations. So it's sure. something that I constantly try to work on. I think one of the things that uh, I do know about whenever I do get in front of people, they, they know that there's a genuineness that happens oh, there. Right. And so I know... It's not just some prepared canned speech that you come up with. It's, it, it's really you. Sometimes it's canned speech <laughs> for, for those events that warrant it. Right? But that's like a portion of it. But there's sure. always the element where you throw in your own, uh, your own personality right. and what you're trying to articulate and the stuff that you're trying to do. So those are the moments where uh, I know that that re relays himself well to the people that are uh, invested and interested in what we're doing. So I have to ask, because you haven't told us how you started your business. It was out of necessity. I, okay. I was a high school history teacher. Okay. I, I taught high school history for four years. Okay. I was married. I got married fairly young. Right. Uh, and, and I got divorced around the same time I left my teaching job. Okay. And uh, I, I, so I just left it thinking that I, I wanted to do something else. And one of the main reasons was I thought that that was, one of the main reasons why I felt like my marriage failed was because of how much time I put into the, the teaching side of things. Mm. So I left teaching and I traveled the country trying to find a job somewhere. Right. And this was in 2007. And I didn't know when I did that that 2007 was going to be 2007. <laughs> So I couldn't find a job anywhere. Right. I traveled the country for three months, couldn't find a job. I moved back home with my parents. And uh, the only thing that I could find to make any kind of income was a one-on-one -on -one tutoring assignment with a, with a student. Oh. So I started tutoring that one student in a one-on-one -on -one capacity. And then I was just like, well, maybe I could turn this into a business. So my sister was learning how to build websites at the time. And I started to learn how to use, like I want to get on top of Google. My mm -hmm. thought was, 
if I could get on top of Google, so many times in tutoring in Chino Hills, right. and my business showed up, that that's how I would get customers. So I tried to figure out how to do that. So I did. Uh, we, we built the website. We did a lot of social media. We did, it was a lot of work, though. Right. A lot of email marketing. And so when I was doing all that, a couple of the kids that I was tutoring, their parents were business owners. Mm. And one of them in particular said, Zeb, I love what you're doing with all of this marketing stuff. Would you mind doing that for my business? So I started doing it with that business. And then I sent out an email, and they she paid fairly well. So I sent out an email to all of my, uh, I sent out an email to all of my contacts and just said, hey, I'm starting this new venture right. doing online marketing. Would you be interested in letting me pitch you on it? You know? Right, right. And so I did. I got like three or four businesses that signed up right away. It paid way more than what I was making running the tutoring business. Right. So I hired somebody to run the tutoring business, and I took over the online marketing business full time. You just unpacked a whole bunch of stuff, okay. <laughs> and, and I could talk for I could talk for hours on this, but you went through and and you were a history teacher, good, safe, steady, secure job. Yeah, got divorced, and you started going out on a limb and trying something new, and made it work. Just didn't hope it worked. You made it work. How has this affected your business today and the way that you approach your business in the chamber? It was, <laughs> it was without strategy, you know, so there wasn't a plan behind this. I was, like I mentioned, it was out of necessity. Mm -hmm. And so I started that tutoring business and then I, uh, I've grown it into the online marketing business. And so what I would say is, is how that impacted me in the future is, uh, and I, this is what I think I mentioned to you previously, was... Uh, being a high school history teacher, like I felt a little bit like unclear what my future was mm. because uh, my whole life I had been trained to go to college, right. you know, get married, get a car, get a house, and, and that's kind of what I was supposed to do. And then I got all of those things relatively young at like 25 or 26, you know. Right. And, uh, and then it's like, well, what, what do I do now? And right. I, I, it's not like I noticed that I was like, uncertain about my future but looking back on it it was like there wasn't anything for me to strive towards it was mm -hmm. like that was going to be my career and what i wanted to do and uh so that's what when i shifted into running a business now it's all focused on growth there's never an outcome that i'm like that's what what i get and then i'm done there's always something that i can do that will help expand and grow my business or the organizations that i'm involved with and so I know that for me personally, I feel much more fulfilled when I'm having that opportunity to continue to grow versus hitting some plateau and then uh, not knowing what to do next. And you've taken this life lesson and you got special recognition for helping the chamber during COVID. Yeah, so we, over the years, we've been lucky enough to get some kind of like recognition from the people that we work with. So in 2020, COVID, right. 2020, um, so I think it's because of my background in doing digital marketing mm. that when COVID happened, we did not miss a beat. Everything was told to shut down. All right. events were told to shut down. We jumped on Zoom right away. We ex vastly expanded our kind of email correspondence to make sure that all the businesses in this very uncertain time knew the resources they had available. We brought in leaders from across the, 
legislative leaders, but also business leaders to talk about what was actually happening and the resources that were available for businesses, uh, to give a kind of behind the scenes account of what was happening with COVID, especially in those first couple of months where everything was so unclear and uncertain. And so because of that work we did for businesses in that time, uh, I was named the Outstanding Citizen of the Year uh, for the Chino Valley, and that was something that I was very proud of. When we come back, we're going to talk about one of the things that drew Zeb to the chamber in the first place. To, in order to grow his business, he needed a mentor. We're here in the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce talking to Zeb Wellborn of Wellborn Media because of the contributions from visioneers just like you through our Patreon page, our small business celebration on Patreon. And it's because of the financial contributions and the support from visioneers just like you that help us grow and bring valuable content and inspiring stories to visioneers like you so we can help business owners like you have big breakthroughs. I'm here with Zell Wellborn, the president of Wellborn Media and the president of the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. And our visionary question comes from Dustin who asks, I'm approaching someone to be my mentor to help me grow my business, but I don't want to come across like I'm only there for the taking. What have you offered your mentors so they don't think you're taking advantage of them and their knowledge? Yeah, no, that's an interesting question. And I'll just share with you my experience of, go, of talking with mentors. Okay. Uh, so, uh, one of the goals I set for myself about two or three years ago was I wanted to identify like five mentors that could help me out in different components of the things that make up what I do. Right. So I did ask all five of them uh, and all five of them agreed to be my, my mentor. And one of the things that I feel like um, there, there are people that get approached to be mentors all the time. All the time. Right. right. Yes. And so uh, for them, there are things that you want to be able to give back to them. But there's a whole other component of mentors that the value that they're giving them is somebody that's excited, passionate, mm. interested in what they are and who they are. Right. And so there are a lot of people who are willing to give you their time, but I also understand that it depends on who you're going after for your mentor. And if you want somebody who is in high demand for mentorship, right. uh, you want to make sure that's um, that you're giving them what they need. And the best way to do that, in my opinion, would be asking them to say, hey, I'm interested in mentorship. This is something that's really important for me to grow. Right. Uh, I would love to have you as a mentor, and I want to be curious to know what it would take for you to mentor me. Might be a, a, a good approach to take. You bring up something very important on all this. You can't be afraid to ask. Right. What did you say to your mentors, and what were you able to reciprocate for them? Yeah, well, let me tell you an interesting story okay. about that. So you know that I did a podcast. It was called the Defining Success Podcast. Right. It's still on iTunes. I right. did about 120 episodes. Right. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, so we were at the top of iTunes for a long time. So it was really cool in that first, uh, those first 90 days when it was up there. And, and it still had a good following for the right. time that I was doing it. Uh, but one of the things that I learned in that experience was it never hurts to ask. Mm. So I would, um, I remember when there would be gaps in my interviews, right. I would Twitter people and I would hit them up on Twitter and I would say, hey, do you, I, I have an opening at 11 o'clock. Would you be open to fill that spot? So honestly, I did like Oprah or Stephen Colbert or like nice. people that you would never imagine getting on a thing. 
Uh, and so you would think that that would be, there's some kind of apprehension there, like, oh, of course they're too busy. But what does it hurt to just send sure. them on Twitter? So the interesting story with that was, was one of the guys that I read his book, and actually I think his book is, actually it is right here. So his book called The New Rules of Marketing and PR. Okay. His name was David Meerman Scott. Okay. So I emailed him. He's like a world-renowned speaker. Everybody tries to get him on his stuff. And so I, I hit him up for one of those things. I said, hey, I'm doing a podcast interview in an hour. Would you like to be on it? And he said, you know what, Zeb? My schedule is booked solid for the next three months, but I have this gap at 11, and it just works out. So sure, let's do it. So I hit him up, and I interviewed him on that podcast. And that was just kind of an eye-opening thing where you never know. You ask, they can say, all, they, all they'll do is say, no, sorry, that doesn't work for me, or no, I'm too busy. Don't take it personal. They're just too busy. Uh, so that was my experience of asking for the advice and then uh, how you would, how that, how that happens, you know. Who knows? They might even say yes. That's right. What do you like to do for fun when you're not here at the chamber? So I do... Uh, I do play a lot of golf. Okay. I do play a lot of soccer. So soccer is the thing that I love to do the most, and okay. I play that on Sundays. Every Sunday I play an adult men's league, so right. I do play soccer. Uh, I do still work in the golf industry, but I also like to go out and play golf. Sure. I do just love kind of like competing, playing sports, uh, hanging out with my family. What have you learned from playing soccer that you apply to your business? So soccer is like a team game, you know, right. where everybody has their own unique skills and you kind of come together to make a team. So I was actually on in 1999 or maybe 2000. I was on the uh, national championship, AYSO national championship soccer team. Sure. And so we have people on that team, on our team. We're just like a very diverse group of people. So there are people from all different backgrounds. But we all played together, and we all did extremely well, and we all had our own unique skill sets, and it was just a very fun thing to be a part of. Right. And so when you take that into like building a team and being a part of a team, those are the things that I've taken from my experience playing soccer. You've got an employee for your business, the one that you and your sister run, Wellborn Media. How has the hiring of this employee that you have now different than when you've hired employees in the past? I think over time I've learned that, uh, you know, like when you're growing your business, right. and you mentioned Wellborn Media, but we've also grown the Chamber. So when I started at Chamber, we had three part-time employees. We now have eight here. Congratulations. Thank you. In Wellborn Media, we've added one new employee. So she started, she's finished a full year. She just had her one-year anniversary with us. Uh, but before that, I did obviously do some hirings. In the tutoring business, I did a lot of hirings. And uh, I think the challenge that I always had with those hirings was that... Uh, they were, I didn't know what to expect. Mm. And I didn't know how to re unveil my expectations onto them. Okay, right. So I had uh, some folks where they were very opinionated about what they wanted to do, and I kind of wanted to let them do what they wanted to do, but it ultimately hurt the business mm. uh, in some of those cases. Right. And so I feel like I've learned a little bit better about how to share the vision okay. of what we're trying to accomplish with our company. Right. It's still a work in progress, though. I'm sure. by no means perfect. Right. Today, I had lots of lengthy talks with our staff members today who were feeling overwhelmed at some of the stuff that they were doing. So right. it's still a process, but I feel like there's a lot more structure in place that I've helped provide. Right. Uh, more of a process in terms of 
their expectations and the stuff that they need to do. Well, give us very briefly an example of that. So one of the things that I set up, it's, I read a book once called uh, Measure What Matters. Okay. So it's the guys at Google. Mm -hmm. They put together, a, it's called Objectives and Key Results. Okay. There's an objective and then there are key results that I want you to accomplish. Ultimately, what I want from any team that I'm working with, like I want them to be able to explore the stuff that they're excited about that's going to help advance the interests of the chamber. Right. But I also, so I guess what I have them do is I have them set their own goals right. based on their job responsibilities, those objectives. Right. And then we identify what are the key results to determine whether or not those objectives are being successful. Right. And then those are the things that I have them work on. How have you applied this to your employee at Wellborn? Uh, in, in the same fashion, so okay. she has she has the objectives and key results of us as an organization, mm -hmm. and then she's kind of identifying the things that she wants to fill the gaps in, mm. and sets those as her own objectives and key results, and uh, those are the things that I work on her with, holding her accountable with that we check in on. What makes you wake up every morning, and open your business? So, in. I don't know if I heard it in a training once or something, but it's, I, it was like the five rocks or your five pillars. There are five things that I've kind of identified as things that are important to me okay. that I want to unveil on the world. And that uh, if I know that I'm involved in those five things, I'm going to live a fulfilled life. And they are? My family. Okay. Uh, it is helping passionate business owners become successful. Perfect for the chamber. It is for the chamber and for Wellborn Media. Okay. Uh, I love educating, uh, but I also love learning. Uh, so making sure that I'm doing some kind of education and learning myself. Uh, it's doing activities like playing soccer and golf. And then the last one is being of service. Uh, and I do that through the Chino Rotary Club and doing give back to our community. How long have you been a Rotarian? Uh, so that's... Uh, Put you on the spot. 20, yeah, <laughs> 2014, 2015, somewhere around there. Well, Zeb, this has been a real privilege. Thank you for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure chatting with you, and I appreciate what you're doing. Thank you. And if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? So like I said, I'm easy to find. It's Zeb Wellborn or at Zeb Wellborn on any of those social media channels. And I'll be right back with my final thought. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. Something worth thinking about. About a week and a half or so ago, I was having coffee with a business owner who declared to me that the reason why business owners go into business is to make money. And I agreed with him, but I asked, then what? Why does a business owner stay in business? Well, this particular gentleman was very adamant on the subject. He says business owners stay in business to make money. And to a certain extent, I agree. After all, a business that's not profitable doesn't stay in business for very long. But 
One of the things I've noticed over the 200 plus episodes of Small Business Celebration is the motivating factor that keeps a business owner engaged varies from owner to owner. For example, like our guest this week, Zeb Wellborn, for him, he started his business out of desperation and then it evolved and it changed and he hired an employee and started to develop and grow, got involved with the chamber and eventually became president of the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. And the success that the chamber had during COVID was because of his, his experience that he had as a business owner starting his own business. But with him, like a lot of other business owners, what's important to him has evolved. What's important has changed. How he approaches the employee for his business now is very different than how he first approached his employees when he first started the business. Which begs the question, as your business has grown, as your business has developed, what's changed? How have you changed? It's something worth thinking about. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Zell Wellborn of Wellborn Media and the Chino Valley Chamber of Commerce. And I hope you learned something that you can use today to grow a strong and profitable business. And we'll see you here again as we celebrate another small business celebrating a big breakthrough. By the way, uh, why did the computer have a hard time getting to work. I don't know. Because they had a hard drive. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Perfect. Perfect. <laughs> but I'm pumped, right? Uh-huh. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Zeb Well. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. We're continuing our series on small business sustainability. And we are in Tehachapi and Winery to learn the value of Compay. This is Small Business Celebration. Welcome, where we're celebrating small businesses for big breakthroughs. Welcome to Small Business Celebration, and our guest this week is Michael Chen, the president of the Tehachapi Winery. Welcome to Small Business Celebration. Hi, Michael. I'm glad to be here. I'm Michael Chen, uh, the president of uh, Tehachapi Winery. Now, the reason we're here at the Tehachapi Winery is a lot of people ask, well, what is business of wine like during the off-season? And that's one of the reasons we're talking with Michael Chan today. Now, Michael, how did you get involved with the wine business? Because you didn't start out in the wine business. Well, number one, I already have a, a sales channels in, uh, for wine industries in uh-huh. overseas. Okay. So that's number one. And two, the reason doing it in Tehachapi, because I was here because of the job relocation. 
Oh, really? So then I learned, you know, there's the, there's, I didn't know there's so many uh, vineyards in Tehachapi's. Right. Of course, you know, I, I love wines you know, also, so it kind of draw my attention. Right. And uh, I learned about, you know, the, uh, how other people are running their vineyard. Uh -huh. and, it, and it happened, you know, this uh, where I'm at is available at that point. Right. So I purchased the land and then, and then I started farming grapes, you know, back in the 2012. <laughs> Your first bottle of wine was made, what, four years later? Correct. Our first wine is like uh, about 2016. When did you start winning awards for your wine? I started sending my uh, uh, wines for rating, uh, I think it's a late 2018 or early uh, 2019. And so far, we have a very good success uh, from the from these wine competitions and also receiving a, a very good ratings too. How many golds have you guys won so far? I believe I have a five golds. Wow. Okay. And so some silvers and some bronze and uh, and uh, and also we one of our 2018, which is uh, already sold out at this point, uh, we receive uh, a very good rating from a wine uh, enthusiast magazines. For 93, they rated 93 points uh, plus uh, awarded the editor's choice of the year. Congratulations! Yeah, so, uh, For such a young winery, that's that's exceptional. Well, uh, of course, there, there, that's, a, that's a teamwork, and uh, luckily I have a, a very good winemaker you know, <laughs> helping me. So. And, and, and who is your winemaker? As a Mark Nail. Mark Nail? Yeah. Huh. And how long has he been with you? I think he came and bought. Uh, about 2016 or early 2017. Oh, so right near the very beginning of everything. Yeah, correct. How did you find him? Back then, you know, I need to learn more about winemaking process. Right. And then my friend uh, introduced me. Said, oh, he has a good friend. Uh, um, he's a winemaker. So right. maybe two of you, you, know, you should you should meet him. Right. So that's how we got. You know, how, that's how we started. And you invited him up to beautiful Tehachapi, and he's helped you make excellent wine since. Yeah, not just that though. He's helping me with all the uh, uh, equipment, uh, buying the the wine equipment. Now, one of the things uh, too about this is you primarily export your wine to mainland China and Hong Kong. Correct. Are you expanding into the United States? Yes. In fact, again, you know, the wine tasting opens uh, late 2020. Right. And, uh, and also, luckily, THP became the, an AVA in uh, late 2020 as well. That will help, uh, help me to, to promote the sale to other states and, uh, and the local chains. What does AVA stand for? That stands for America Venticultural Area. <laughs> And that's a very important designation. Why is that? That's like a kind of like a certification oh. for you're good for wine grapes, okay. basically. Just like a, Napa has the same certification, certifications, right? And Paso Robles has the same one as well. So you're you're a certifiably good red wine now. Yeah, we can. Uh, <laughs> yeah, we can label our wine as a estate wine. Yeah. And when we come back, we're going to talk more about the differences between marketing here in the States versus in Asia. But before we do that, Michael, if visionaries want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? 
Well, they can find us at thbwinery.com okay. or on the Facebook and Instagrams. Or they can email us to info.thbwinery.com. Okay. Uh, our address is 22136 Bailey Road in THP, and the zip code is 93561. And if you enjoy Small Business Celebration, go ahead and like, subscribe, and notify. And when we come back, marketing, marketing, marketing. When we come right back. The winter season is rapidly approaching, but are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at ClarouTire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. We're here with Michael Chan, the president of the Tehachapi Winery, and our visionary question comes from Jason who asks, we're looking at exporting our products domestically. What marketing differences have you found between the U.S. and Asia? In U.S., we, we try to educate our customers mm -hmm. the differences between the THP wine and, and the rest of wines in the countries. Right. So THP is, is one of the highest elevation in the, uh, in the country. Mm -hmm. And also the daytime temperature Day and nighttime temperature variance could be as much as a 50 degrees. Really? Yeah, so it kind of... Uh, how, how does that affect the, the quality of the wine? Number one, again, because uh, such a high elevations, uh -huh. so we receive more direct sunlight oh. and it's better for the grapes. Really? And the, the daytime temperature sometimes is as high as 90 degrees during the day, but right. it will drop to a low 50s, maybe even high, high 40s wow. in, in the nighttime. So it kind of like during the daytime, it kind of pushes the wine grow, and then at night, it chill it down and kind of like keeping the grapes in a hibernating mode. Okay. That's the difference, uh, THB climate and the rest of the country. And educating the domestic consumer is different in Asia because it, your customers in Asia, they're not really concerned about that, are they? Well, that's why uh, whenever, uh, whenever I had a, uh, this sales meetings and the wine shows in China, I always reiterate, you know, the difference of our uh, THB wine and, and the other American uh, wines. And domestically, you're just trying to tell American consumers, we grow grapes in THB. That's correct. <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> How is the wine in THB different than the wine that comes out of Napa and Paso Robles and other parts of California? Because of the microclimates, if you spend time and taste THB wine, you, you will feel the difference, yeah. Right. And in fact, most of wine growers here, they all are receiving awards through wine competitions and, uh, and other ratings from the, good ratings from the other wine magazines. It's California's best kept secret. Yeah, correct. <laughs> <laughs> so talk us through a little bit about the process of the wine that you make here and, and, and explain to us how does all this happen? Well, number one, we are not taking any shortcuts. When we carry out the whole process in-house, mm -hmm. of course, after the fermentations, we will put the wine in the, these oak barrels, the aging, right. anywhere from 14 months to, uh, to two years. Wow. The next process is you know, getting it 
in the bottle. There will be another a few layers of work before the wine can be uh, put into the bottle. And how many cases of wine do you sell a year? Uh, we are making about 7,000 cases. 7,000 cases. How many bottles of wine are in each case? There's a 12, uh, 12 counts <laughs> per case. <laughs> so my math isn't that great, but 7,000 times 12 is... That we have 84,000 bottles. Uh, <laughs> 84,000 bottles of wine a year. Correct. That's a lot. Yeah, that could enough for uh, at least six bottles for, uh, for each residence in Tehachapi. <laughs> <laughs> now, when you started this business, you were a state employee for 20 plus years, right? Correct. And yet owning a business is very different. What have you learned as a business owner that you couldn't have imagined as an employee of the state? Well, as an employee of the state, well, it doesn't matter as a state or other uh, private sector. So you kind of focus, you know, your own areas. Right. But a winery is different things because you have the, uh, the farming portion of it. Right. Then you have manufacturing uh, portion of it. And then, then you have marketing, you know, part right. of it. So there's all uh, three components combined. You know, there's a lot, lot more to deal with. Uh -huh. When you've got all these things to deal with, what happened that you could have never foreseen happening? Let's say harvesting, okay? Okay. The crew is not showing up. I'm <laughs> <laughs> sure, right? Yeah, yeah. Then you have to deal with it. So, or they're not showing up enough members. You know? Right. So those are really headache. Uh, uh, you never had that problem when you were working for the state. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> so different settings, though. Sure. Uh -huh. And how did you overcome that? How did you How did you overcome the fact that? Uh, you, you didn't have enough employees to harvest. That's a learning process, a part of a learning process, I would say. So instead of one, maybe a labor contractor group, right. and then now I'm, I, I have a three or four contacts. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so I can find substitute you know, in, in a much faster pace you know, at this point. I have to ask this question, because in the United States, when somebody has a, has a glass of wine with somebody else, they say, cheers. What do they say in China? Oh, this is Ganbei. Ganbei. <laughs> Bottoms up. <laughs> Bottoms up. Yeah. And we'll be right back. Yeah. The reason we're here with Michael Chen, the president of the Tehachapi Winery, is because of the financial support that comes from visioners just like you. Simply go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration and you'll get bonus information, bonus content that you can use to help grow your business. So go to patreon.com forward slash small business celebration and help us celebrate other small business owners who are making big breakthroughs. I'm here with Michael Chan, the president of the Tehachapi Winery, and our visionary question comes from Dean who asks, we have a showroom in our business but are looking for more community engagement. What have you found that works? We organize several things here. So we have a, a line dance and a yoga class in the summer. Wait, wait, you have yoga and line dancing here? Yeah, that's correct. <laughs> Where did this idea come from? It's the feedback from the customers and partly from my staff. Is this something that Mark came up with? Uh, Mark is part of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so you're blaming him. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I think the community uh, likes it. We, we receive uh, overwhelming support you know, for the, uh, on, on, the, on the both events. Does this bring more traffic and, and more customers to the winery? Yes, of course. Uh -huh. uh, 
I'm sorry, I'm just finding it fascinating, the whole idea of yoga in a winery and line dancing, that, that's just wonderful. How does that logistically work? How, how do you make that happen? We hire a yoga instructor, uh -huh. and then if weather is permitted, outside the building. Okay. And then when the class finish, and everybody, you know, enjoying a glass of wine and talk about, you know, the, uh, what they're going to do the rest of the day. <laughs> Yoga is so much better with a glass of wine. Correct. <laughs> <laughs> and if you hear a pitter-pattering of paws periodically throughout this episode, it's because they have a dog and he roams all over the place. What's the dog's name? Pachum. Pachum. <laughs> okay. And so if you hear things in the background, it's probably Pachum running around sniffing and thinking, what's going on with this whole camera thing? So <laughs> it's wonderful stuff. Now, what is something that you like to do when you're not here at the winery? I fish. You fish? <laughs> yeah, okay. Correct. What kind of fishing? Usually I would go down to the coast uh, and get on the party boat, uh, spend uh, maybe uh, three quarters or the full days of a full day of a uh, party boat or fishing trip. Really? Yep. Why fishing? I guess it'll give me a peace of mind so I can focus on, <laughs> on the line. It helps you uh, clear the air, clear the brain of what you're doing here. Yeah, sometimes. Yeah, <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> In the last segment, we talked about that you started off as a state employee and that you started this business. What's one piece of business advice you wish you had, you had known beforehand? You will need to do your own uh, evaluations. Okay. Yeah, see your strength. Okay. And then uh, also your weakness. Okay, fair enough. Should you write everything down? Well, writing it down, I mean, the advantage is um, you're not, you try to minimize uh, mistakes. Okay. So do your own layout, you know, put all the, uh, the topics on a piece of paper. Okay. So you kind of uh, look at, uh, look at, over again and again. You know, right. And make sure you're not missing uh, too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> too much. <laughs> I love it. I love it. And what's the number one solution to all problems? You never give up. Drink, drink more wine, right? And drink more wine. <laughs> <laughs> well, Michael, this has been a real privilege. Thank you for joining us here on Small Business Celebration. Yeah, thank you for having me here. <laughs> and if visioners want to get in touch with you, how do they do that? Well, they can uh, um, contact us at the uh, info.thpwinery.com okay. or visit our website, our website which is uh, thpwinery.com as, as well. And uh, our address is at 22136 Bailey Road in Thpe. The zip code is at 93561. And I'll be right back with my final thought. The winter season is rapidly approaching. But are the tires on your car or truck ready for wet weather? Bakersfield's best tire store, Clarou Tire, has been serving families like yours for 80 years and installs and services the tires your family depends on when the wet weather comes. Give Clarou Tire a call at 661-324-6069 and ask them about what tire works best for you and your budget. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 or visit them at 530 East 21st Street in Bakersfield or at clarutire.com today. The wet winter weather is rapidly approaching. Call Clarou Tire at 661-324-6069 today. The egg or the chicken? 
As I was editing this episode with Michael Chan, he brought up something that was very important. You see, when he started his business, he had the customers ready to go, but he didn't have the product in which to sell it to them. Now, I don't know about you, but I've fallen into this trap where I've created the perfect product and, or the perfect service. And then I spend an inordinate amount of time trying to figure out who to sell it to, who's gonna buy it, and, and for how much would they actually be willing to spend in buying that product or using that service. Well, what if instead of putting the chicken before the egg in that situation, what if we did like Michael Chan? What if we went out and talked to prospects, talked to customers, asked them what it was that they wanted, and found out how much they'd be willing to spend for it? In essence, putting the egg before the chicken. I hope you enjoyed our conversation this week with Michael Chan, the president of the Tehachapi Winery, and I hope you join us again here next week as we celebrate another small business with a big breakthrough. By the way, what kind of a dog retrieves red wine? Oh. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of a dog retrieves red wine? Red dog? <laughs> <laughs> no, a lab Bordeaux retriever. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> lab Bordeaux retriever, yeah. <laughs> uh, welcome to Small Business 